0: Well, let's jump into the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible, please get it. If you don't have one, please grab one nearby you and go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, we'll start in verse 7. And as you turn there, um, maybe you have someone in your life like this. I have, I have a, a really good friend in my life who, I can't remember the official term, but you, they call him a Connector. Like if you want to find somebody, if you want to get to know somebody, you go to this guy first and he'll he'll make the introductions. He will connect you with the person you're trying to meet. And um <laughs> he's he's actually traveling to a conference right now and I'm thinking, yep, he's going to do it again. He's going to anybody who needs to know somebody, he's going to say, "Ah, you need to go meet so and so. I know them. I can connect you with them." And what I realized is that we, we really do want to meet important people. We want, to really, we want to meet significant people. Now, granted, we may have no idea of what we would say if we actually did. We might, <laughs> I can remember meeting some, some personal heroes of mine and just kind of blah, 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 just sputtering out some stuff, but we want to meet them. So here's a question How about God? Do we want to meet God? Now, pause, because this is what we do at home. Whenever we hear sirens, we pray. So would you pray with me? Father, somebody's having a bad day today. And we pray for the faithful men and women who serve in that capacity as um, emergency services. Please help them to do their jobs well. And we pray for those who are in trouble. Please help them and help them to know your presence. Help them to know you just like we're going to talk about today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Do we want to meet God? Well, the truth is everybody wants to meet God. Everybody does. Some people want to meet God to see what he's like. Some people want to meet God to let him know what a great person they are. Some people want to meet God so that they can chew them out, chew Him out for how He has supposedly ruined their lives. But for the people of God whom God has met, we have a similar longing. We want to see you, Lord God. I mean there's a reason we pray for the return of Jesus. We want to see God. And this passage today, as we're going through this, these last moments of Jesus with his disciples on earth, Jesus is preparing his disciples for a crisis of faith. Jesus was not going to be there anymore physically with them. And this is going to be their heart cry. We want to see you, God. What assurance would they have that they would continue knowing God if God in the flesh wasn't there? And that's one of the questions of our faith, isn't it? Because we're almost 2,000 years removed from the crucifixion. And none of us have seen physically right in front of us the incarnate Son of God. What assurance do we have that we know God, even though we've never been physically present with Him yet? Well, that's hopefully what we're going to answer this morning. So would you stand as we go to John chapter 14 and hear the words of Jesus from the, from the Word of God? John chapter 17, or just, sorry 17, verse chapter 14, starting in verse seven. Jesus saying to his disciples, "If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him." Philip said to him, "Lord. What assurance do believers have for their deepest longing, being with God, knowing God, seeing God? What do we have for our deepest longing being realized if God in the flesh goes away for a time? Well, it's the same promise. It's the same person. It's Jesus. And what this text tells us is that in order for that assurance to be there, we must know Jesus. It's that simple. We must know Jesus. Well, according to this passage, what does it mean to know Jesus? Because there's a lot of opinions about there what, of what knowing Jesus is. What does this text say? Well, first it says, knowing Jesus is knowing the Father. Jesus starts out and says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And then Jesus goes farther and says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Knowing Jesus is knowing the Father. Well, what does it mean? there's another question. What does it mean to know the Father? Well, this may seem kind of circular, but it means knowing Jesus. Because Jesus says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, if you get to know me, you will know who the Father is like. You will, you will know the character of the Father. You will know the nature of the Father. And what we're, what we're talking about this morning... We should be so humble about this and humbled by this because what we're talking about this morning is a level of unity and intimacy within God between Father and Son and Holy Spirit that we just don't have the words or the illustrations to picture. We can't fully comprehend this. So I'm putting this this disclaimer out there that that some of this is mystery. How they can be so united that Jesus would say, You've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know me, you know the Father. What can get a little close to that is we send out ambassadors, right, to other nations, and they set up their, set up their, their shop in embassies. And what, is the, what do the ambassadors do? They represent the nation that they come for. They represent the interests, the, um, the agendas, the, the goals of the nation that they come from. So when we set up, for instance, we set up a, we send an ambassador to Singapore, we are representing the United States interests in Singapore. We want, even though we might like Singapore people, we want, we want to see them succeed, but we want them to see them succeed because that's what is also in our interests. And so when Jesus comes, he represents the father's interests, He's sent by the Father to glorify the Father, to make Him known. And that's actually what the Father's interests are. That's His goal, to be known. John chapter 1, verse 18 says, No one has seen God, but then it goes on to say, The only God who is at the Father's side has made Him known. And He makes Him known by coming. God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. So when we know Jesus we can know the Father. And how do we know and what's another way we know Jesus? Well, we're talking about all this from the Bible, from God's word. We're not talking about this I had a conversation this morning. We're not looking at the Book of Mormon to get a picture of Jesus. The picture of Jesus there is not the picture in the Bible which has way more attestation to God having written it than any other source. So for us as Christians, where do we go to get refreshed and to grow in our knowledge of Jesus, of God? Scripture. It's the Word of God who tells us about the Word of God who became flesh. So it means Jesus... Also what it means to know the Father, it means to see the Father. Because Jesus says, from now on you do know and have seen him. And then Philip seems like he just contradicts this, right? He says, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And then Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? <laughs> this is so great. It's like every time a disciple opens their mouth in this in this last hour of Jesus' life, they stick their foot in it. And it's, that's really good news for us because we are so prone to do that ourselves. Amen. So there's hope. <laughs> there is real hope. And, but Jesus is not saying, You don't know me at all. He's saying, Philip, put the pieces together. You've been with me three years. Don't do a mental checkout just because I say, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. I think that's the case for us as Christians. Do we, when we think about our knowing God, our knowing Jesus, do we do a mental checkout? Or when we're out in the world and somebody asks us about something, do we do a mental checkout and just leave Jesus out there as if we have no idea who he is and what he's like? No, we shouldn't do that because we have God's word. We've been with Jesus. Maybe not the same degree they have, but actually in a greater measure because as we'll study next week, we have the Holy Spirit on this side of the on this side of the cross. The inner testimony of the person, third person of the Trinity telling us who Jesus is, bearing witness to him, helping us understand his word. So Philip does know. Philip does know and Jesus is like I got to correct you on that. Don't act like you don't know me. Don't act like you don't know the Father. And what does he say? Cuz what Philip is asking is, Lord, show us the Father. I mean, that's the that's the desire of everybody. We want to see God like show up like in a personal form. I mean, I don't know if you about you guys, but when we were doing the We're doing a reading through the Bible this year. And in Exodus chapter 24, I don't know if you caught it, it said Aaron, these are the the Israelites. We had Moses, Aaron, some of the elders of Israel, and then Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, and I think some others. In Exodus chapter 24, it records that they get to go up on the mountain where God is, where the whole mountain is on fire. They get to go up there, and they get to have dinner with God. And it makes this amazing statement. It's like, and they beheld God and ate and drank. And there's like this picture of like his feet on this big floor that's like starry sapphire. And it's just mind blowing. Or you can take Isaiah chapter six. I saw the Lord seated on high, exalted. And just the amazing thing like that. That's what people want to see. That's kind of what Philip is saying here. Show us the father. And Jesus is like, I'll do you one better, Philip. I'm here. Don't look for a, some sort of demonstration. See. See. So what does that mean? That means understand who God is. Understand the character of God. Understand what Jesus has done. And understand what Jesus has done for you that the Father wanted him to do because the Father loves you. Because Jesus says in verse 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now that's not to say that Jesus and the Father are exactly the same. No, they're still distinct. But no one's. the scripture says, no one sees God and lives. Why? Because he's holy and he's spirit. He sends Jesus to make him known to show how he acts, how he operates, what his design for the world is. So the question is, do we trust him that way? Knowing Jesus is, know, is knowing the Father. So we must know Jesus. Well, that trust piece is where we're going next because not only, it's not only knowing the Father, And having an understanding of who he is and what he's like. It's also believing the Father. Knowing Jesus is believing the Father. Because Jesus ties it here. He says, how can you say, show us the Father? And he says in verse 10, do you, you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. Again, where do we get this knowing? Where can we, what does God give us to help us believe? Because a lot of people throw out the accusation at Christians is like, oh, well, you just, it's, or any religion, but they throw it particularly at Christians like, oh, you just, it's a blind faith. You're following Nothing and saying that it's something. Well, we have an answer for that. No, it's not. Our faith is actually one of the most historically verified faiths in the world. Our Bible is one of the most accused, but standing the test of time books in the world. Actually, it is it has been scrutinized more than any other book in the world and it has stood the test. And then, we, as we talked about on Easter Sunday, people all over the world are so transformed by this God that they are willing to risk their necks and lay everything aside to give up their worldly dreams and pursue His calling. Why would they do that if it's just blind? It's not. So, what does the Father give us? Gives us. Well, first, <laughs> the Father gives us Jesus, because Jesus says in verse ten, "Do you not believe that I am in the Father and Father is in me?" Jesus' whole life is showing the character and nature of God. He heals people. He speaks speaks truth. He teaches truth. He makes disciples. He brings hope. He desires that people not stay in their sins, but be rescued. Come to me, he says, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So the Father gives us this amazing gift of Jesus, and actually in this hour, he's going to show just how powerful a gift this is, because he's going to send his son, and he's going to send his, he says, send his son to die. Why does he send his son to die? because only a perfect sacrifice can take away sins. And on the cross, that was done for us. The Father gives us Jesus. And then there's two components of what Jesus of Jesus's life and ministry that we need to focus on. Because he not only gives us the person of Jesus, he also gives us what Jesus says. Because Jesus uses as evidence that the Father, that he is in the Father and the Father is in him, It says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. The Father gives us what Jesus says. And Jesus has repeatedly in the Gospel of John says, these words are not my own. I'm I'm not just pulling these out of thin air and just throwing them at you as some like guru. No, These are the words of the Father who wants to communicate a message to you that you can be forgiven, that you can receive grace, that you can turn from your sins by faith in Christ. That there is hope and that God has not abandoned the world. The Father gives us what Jesus says. And you remember what power God's word has. He says, all that I purpose, when my word goes forth in Isaiah 55, it will accomplish. Jesus' word does that. Our our word doesn't have that power, which (laughs) it doesn't. I mean, we can shape some and influence some things, maybe by our words, but only God can affect what he desires and how he desires it by speaking. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and Here we are in a world full of light. Not only gives us what he says, but also the Father gives us what Jesus does. Because Jesus then says, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. And then Jesus makes this amazing claim. He says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. I mean, you couldn't set the cookies any lower on the shelf. He's like, even if you don't really, if, even if you aren't comfortable with my words, guys, look at what I'm doing. Do ordinary people turn water into wine? Do ordinary people heal people who have been lame for 38 years? Do ordinary people raise the dead? Do ordinary people... Speak like I have spoken. Because Jesus speaking is a, wor- is a work. And he's saying, guys, look at this. This stuff doesn't happen by ordinary humanity. This is the work of God. Well, so if it's the work of God, <laughs> look at me. Believe me. How does that show up in our lives? I don't know about you, I haven't really witnessed a whole lot of what would be typically considered miracles. I mean, when people are healed at the hospital or a tumor is suddenly gone, those are amazing and we should praise God for those. We should believe Christ on the basis uh, with those in mind. But what is one, what are the one of the works that God does in our day to really show who He is and, tell, and call us to believe Him? Yeah, sure, there's the proclamation of the Word where we, I'm doing it right now where you are called to give the word to each other in making disciples. But you know what else is the work of God? You. You and me. I mean, if it were up to me, I wouldn't just choose this. I wouldn't choose a life where the person were to follow says, "Take up your cross daily and follow me. Lose your life, and you will find it." I, I that doesn't sound like, yeah, that's salesmanship, Jesus. No, that doesn't sound like immediately appealing. What is God's work? Us. You want to know why? Because bringing dead, bringing the spiritually dead back to life is. Only the work that God can do. Helping people, causing people to see his son for who he really is. That's the work that only God can do. And so we are here as a testament to God's working. And what does Jesus say? Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Knowing Jesus is believing the Father. So, do you believe Him? Do you believe what He says about Himself? Do you believe what He has done to reveal Himself, to make the Father known? We must know Jesus. And finally, knowing Jesus is not just knowing the Father. That's, that's crucial. Not just believing the Father. But from those flows something. Knowing Jesus is glorifying the Father. Because look where he goes next. He says, know me, you have known him and have seen him, guys. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. This incredible union that just goes beyond words. And he says, because of this, verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, whoever knows me, what does he say? Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. Knowing Jesus is glorifying the Father. And there's some things in, in, at the end of this passage that we need to unpack, because how do we glorify the Father? He says, the, whoever believes in me will what? Will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. What does he mean? Well, I can tell you what he doesn't mean. He doesn't necessarily mean more spectacular works than Jesus has done. Like, if Jesus... Sometimes I think, like, okay, what would be a more spectacular work? And I think, immediately I think X-Men or Avengers. I think, like, oh, okay, so greater works than these. Does that mean, like, I'm going to be able to fly and, like, have laser beams come out of my eyes? Is that what that means? No, the greatness, the greater works are not necessarily more spectacular works. They have greater effect. Why? Because Jesus here is te- talking to his disciples before the cross. Now, the message of the gospel is alluded to here, but it's not seen, in its, it's not seen by these guys in its fullness. And what does Romans say about the gospel? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So what's he saying? Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Sure, there can be healings, there can be even temporary physical raisings from the dead. I don't think they're on demand. We have only a few recorded. And we have even fewer recorded in the book of Acts. But, what do we have recorded? That Jesus and his message are effective. I mean, we have one guy in this. The guy who denied Jesus three times. Peter. He gets up at Pentecost, full of the Holy Spirit, who we'll talk about, that makes all this possible. He gets up, full of the Holy Spirit. He preaches, and he tells people, you crucified Christ. That's not salesmanship. (laughs) It says, you crucified Christ. And what happens? What does it say? In Acts chapter 2, it says, and they were added to that number about 3,000 souls from one guy's message. Jesus never had that level of success during his incarnational ministry. Did you know that? He never went outside Palestine. And I'm not making this up for my own. Several commentators mentioned this. Jesus never went outside of Palestine. He only spoke to a few Gentiles. Billy Graham got more converts, theoretically, than Jesus did during his incarnational ministry. So we do the works in greater than Jesus does because he promises that these will be so, and it's because he's going to the Father. Jesus, though he is God in the flesh, before he is glorified, he's not omnipresent. He's in one place at one time, able to do only so much. He does exactly what the Father has told him to do and fulfills his mission there. But it's only after he's glorified and he goes to the Father that greater works than these will anyone who believes in him do. So what's some of the fuel for that? Well, we not only do the works and greater that he does, we pray in Jesus' name. I mean, Linda talked about we bring, all thing, we bring all sorts of stuff to God. Look what he says. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, as we unpack this, let's, <laughs> let's, let's make it real clear. What is praying in Jesus' name? Well, let's give what it isn't first. Okay, I don't know if you're familiar with the Christian comedian Tim Hawkins, but he gave a skit that talked about being at the dinner table and just wanting God's blessing over a bag of Cheetos. If we pray in Jesus' name that God will bless the bag of Cheetos, does that mean that God's going to do it? Is that what praying in Jesus' name means? We just cap off our prayers in Jesus' name, no matter what we've prayed about, no matter what we want in that prayer, that Jesus will Jesus says He'll do it. Lord, I pray today that I get a Ferrari and a cream-filled donut. In Jesus' name. Amen. Is that what that means? No. What does it mean in Jesus' name? It means that if we present it to Christ, Christ has the authority to sign his name on it. And the only way Jesus signs his name on it is if it glorifies the Father. I will do anything, whatever you ask in my name, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So when we think about what to pray about, what glorifies God? What pleases God? What's in line with God's character, his nature, his purposes among humanity, his mission? Do we pray with the desires of God or do we pray, as James says, you ask and you do not have and you quarrel and cannot obtain? Why? Because you ask with wicked motives. Because you want it for yourself. You don't want to glorify God. You just want, 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 want. Now there's nothing necessarily wrong in and of itself with asking God for things. He tells us to do it. But what are we asking him for? Are we asking him more that he would give us stuff or are we asking him that he would be glorified? Are we asking that he would be exalted through what we are praying about, with what we are bringing before him? Because if that's the case, then it makes total sense. If Jesus loves the request that you have brought before him because it lines up with what his work in the, on the cross and his resurrection and his desire in bringing the kingdom of God to consummation, if it's in, within that, of course he'll answer it. Of course he'll say, yes, I'll do it. And that's one of the reasons why we continue to persevere in seeking God's hand to save the lost. You have friends or family members who don't know the Lord. You have people you work with who don't know the Lord. Does God want them to be saved? Timothy, the letter of Timothy says, for God desires that all people should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's just an example of what pleases the Lord. So let's seek that, but... All this work, these prayers, do you know what this is? We're going to get into this more as we uh, in the coming months, but this is the work of the church. Do you know that? This is the work of the church, doing the works that Jesus has done, doing greater works than these, praying in Jesus name. This is the work of the church. And how do we know this? Because we not only do the works, we not only pray the name, pray in Jesus' name, in his character. We pray Jesus to do the work through us. Because look what he says, whatever you ask in my name, you'll do it. Is that what it says? It says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So how does Jesus does do this if he's not physically here? Well, we're not getting into the text this morning, but go a little farther down. Jesus says that God the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit upon his church, upon the people of God, And what does that spirit do? It testifies to Christ. He does the work of Christ. Christ works through his church while he's not physically here. So that means you and I are to be doing the work of Christ by the power of Jesus, trusting that in his name he will do it. And that's actually how we should read the book of Acts. The Acts is not the Acts of the church. The Acts are Jesus' work continuing through the church. So here's a question. Do you want him to do this? Do you want him to be glorified in you? You want him to work through you. And then here's another question. Have you asked? Have you asked that Jesus would be more magnified in your life? Have you asked that God would be more glorified in your life? Have you asked that your life, all the areas of it, over which God has authority, which is everything, would be brought into line with his purposes, his desires? And if you have, persevere in faith that he is going to answer. If he hasn't already, he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Don't just fling up a prayer and then not expect God to answer it. Trust this, if you ask me anything in my name... I will do it. (laughs) It's an amazing promise. God of the universe will listen to you, wanting you to pray things according to his will in his son's name. And has promised, his son has promised, that he will do it. So I'm going to challenge you guys. I want you this week (laughs) I'm setting the bar low here pray at least once for something you know no not know that is pleasing to God and specific not just some general Lord please help the people out there no very specific name names do something like that pray it specifically write it down so you can remember that you prayed it or something and then wait for God to answer I challenge you to do that. Jesus challenges you to do that in here. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then later on, he says, Up until now, you haven't asked, so ask. Knowing Jesus is glorifying the Father. We must know Jesus. So, do you know him? Do you know him as, he, as his word reveals him to be? As his Holy Spirit testifies in you to be? That he got, he's a God who not only takes away sins, but he fills us with his righteousness. That he fills us with desire to do his will, to seek the things that are pleasing to him. as my friend does. You want to know God? Well, let me tell, let me tell you about Jesus. Let's connect you to Jesus. Let's remind, you, uh, remind those of you who wonder if Jesus has left you because you feel spiritually dry or there's a sin that just keeps getting in the way that you keep putting to death and it keeps jumping back trying to grab you. John, later on in, his, in the Bible, tells his, the church that he's ministering to, he says, you little children, know the Father. And we would echo the same words here. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is greater than the sin that keeps trying to bite you. Jesus is greater than the spiritual dryness that you might be going through. Jesus is greater than the opposition that you might face wherever it is. He wants you to know Him, believe Him, and glorify Him. So, do we know God <laughs> through Jesus? Yes, we do. We must know Jesus.